Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place, South Tampa Campus. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear, and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. I was praying about what, what kind of message to bring, and the Lord brought me back to Psalm 118. And so I'm just going to run through uh, about the first eight or nine verses, and we're going to kind of just camp here and, and uh, focus on what the Lord is saying, because his love endures forever. And we, forever is like, it's a word we sort of know, so we sometimes throw around, and then, but we really don't, we don't understand forever. <laughs> we're finite in this temporal body, um, but when you gave your life to the Lord, your eternity started now, started at that point, and your, your spirit is forever in, in Christ. And so just as we, as we look at this verse, Psalm 118 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. We'll just kind of pause there. You know, in, in looking at that, you have, like, in the Old Testament, you had the people of Israel uh, who were God's sort of chosen people at that time. And then you had uh, the, the priests, right? So the house of Aaron, so you have the people saying, God's love endures forever. You have the, the, so it's sort of like you have the church saying that, and then you have the pastors saying that. But what I found interesting was, let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Those are the people that may not always be connected to a church. They may not be pastors, but there are people that are like, I love God, but I don't know how to connect with the body. But we also say, his love endures forever. And so this this love, just even in these first uh, four verses, everyone that encounters the presence of God, everyone that encounters his love, realize it endures forever. It encompasses everyone. You know, the, when it says he makes the, the rain fall on the righteous and the wicked, like our sense of justice sometimes has a really hard time with that. But it's like his love endures forever. He sees things that we don't see. It goes beyond where, where we are and his hope for the redemption for, for those that have yet to receive the gift. Sometimes we call them pre-Christians, right? Because they're, they're his kids. They just haven't said yes to the offer. And for us, so much at least for me, a little bit about my background. I grew up in the Worldwide Church of God back when it was listed in like the book of cults because we didn't really actually believe the Holy Spirit was like part of God. It was sort of like the power. It was like the force, like Star Wars kind of thing. And we had some really quirky stuff growing up. So, you know, when people talk about like deconstructing their faith, I had to do that because I had a lot of really wonky legalism, Old Testament focused. I mean, we knew Daniel and Revelation. We didn't really know the rest of the New Testament. Um, uh, you know, unless James, you could kind of twist James into some legalism. Um, but otherwise, it was just like all Old Testament, Ezekiel, Daniel, um, and, and all the to-dos. And so it was, growing up, it was always hard for me 
to go like, how do I see the love of God? Because your life was always about doing things for God or under God to keep from being smited, <laughs> right? God had the giant fly swatter in the sky. And so you run across verses like this in the Old Testament where there were those, David in particular, who had an encounter with God that was allowed him, I think, to see all the way to Christ, some of the prophetic pictures, some of the prophetic declarations of Christ. But this, this psalm, this song about God's love enduring forever, and when you look across the, from the beginning to the end, it's about God's love for people, that he wants to be with you. And he wanted to be with Adam and Eve in the garden, and he would come and he would meet with them and he would be with them. And at the end in Revelation, it says that, you know, there'll be no sea, it'll only be land. And sea was often a picture of chaos in the Old Testament. And so all the chaos will be gone. There'll be no night because the light of the Lord will be with us always. And so as we come into this, just this... uh, awareness, this revelation of truth, of his love that is so enduring. It doesn't end. Like I have three boys and a puppy, right? There's times in my <laughs> regularly in my day that I'm like, Lord, you need to release your patience. I'm all out of any fleshly patience that I have, and I need to pull on kingdom spirit patience to, you know, continue to operate in love for those that are closest around me. God never has to be like, well, I'm out of patience today. <laughs> Bad news, right? It's always good news. God, there, there's parts of the Lord, and there's parts, I don't always know how to like frame it because he's so much bigger than how we, like, I'm, I'm, I always like categories, right? I want like little boxes, and I want my information to go in there because then I can remember it. But there's part that the Lord is always in a good mood. And, and yet he can be, he experiences, right? So when, when you read about the nature of God, one of the things that, it's my opinion, and it's just from when I read the Bible, I think our emotions connect our spirit to our body. Because our body feels emotions. You feel stressed. You feel happy. It changes how your body feels and acts. But you see it. In the spirit, with the Lord having emotions and feeling frustrated, like with the children of Israel and how he was communicating with Moses and things like that. But there was always a part that his mercy never fails. It's, he's always good. And he's always moving us into a place of greater connection and communion with him. But it's his goodness that calls us to repentance. And growing up in, in such a legalism, um, and I thought it was just us, like that we were like just so kooky and, and as I was coming into more like traditional evangelical beliefs. Then I started talking to people and everybody's like, no, I grew up Baptist, I grew up AG, and we were all afraid of God too, and it was mean. And <laughs> um, So I found that you know across the board within the Christian denominations, it's really hard for us to connect with how good God is and how long-suffering and how enduring his love is 
because we're all we're, we're so conditional. If you behave well, I mean, we did this with my kids when they were little, like, if this, then that, right? You behave well, you get treats. You don't behave well, you get time out, right? There's, we're trying to help shape behavior, and yet the Lord is like, there, there's natural law, right? You go jumping off a cliff, natural law says you're falling. And then there's like the higher law, right? The law of aerodynamics says if you've got enough wingspan, uh, you, you can jump off the cliff and you're going to fly, Right, And so when we come into the kingdom, there are higher laws that operate. And so in the natural, there's very much if then. And yet in the kingdom, he says, there's more grace. You can't out, you can't out sin his grace. And I heard uh, a pastor once, he was like, you know, we get, we get so concerned about like, how am I doing with God? And it's, he goes, it's like if you had a $1,000 debt and you were concerned, so you're kind of avoiding the person that you owed the $1,000 to. Or you, you make it $10,000. It's, it's big enough that it's really awkward. You're kind of like, you know. If someone else came along and paid the $10,000, you're like, I can, I can talk to the person again. It's not so awkward anymore. But you still kind of know, like, don't screw this up, right? Because that was, that was a long time that I owed him. And, he, and the pastor was saying, it's not like God came and paid 10000 He came and put $10 million in the bank for that person. And so even if you, you, you mess up again, it's, it's not just paid. It's like over abundantly paid so that you have freedom to come back and be like, my relationship... Yes, I made a mistake. Yes, I fell short of the standard, but I can come back. And I don't have to, you know, it's, it's not like, ooh, boy, this one's going to cost me more. It's just, it's over and abundantly paid because his love endures forever. And if we keep reading in verse 5, it says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And there's part, what are you trusting in? Right, David, you are sensing worry and, and things and... Um, when we trust in people more than we trust in God, we're sure to be disappointed at times. But it's going, all right, Lord, how do we, if, if I trust that you are with me, right? He says, when hard-pressed, I cried, and he brought me into a spacious place. Why? The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Henry Nouwen um, was kind of a, a Christian thinker, a writer, uh, and he had a, an interesting um, observation. He was watching a trapeze artist, and you know they're swinging back and forth between the the trapeze, and there's a couple of them up there. And he said, you know, we, everybody thinks the star of the show is the person flipping through the air. He goes, but none of that happens 
without the catcher. Because there's somebody else swinging, and when they are leaping out, that other person is coming to grab them. And as he was watching this, he said, the fire's acrobatics are only possible because of the catcher. He or she fully trusts that they will be caught. And the quote is, I can only fly, fly freely when I know there's a catcher to catch me. And there's so many risks and things that we try in this world. And, you know, the American philosophy of if, it's, if it is to be, it's up to me, really is, is so deep in, the, in our psychology that we don't realize where it kind of keeps popping up that, like, if I'm leaping to the trapeze, it's up to me to make sure that I catch it. And so there's that concern, that worry, that that anxiousness that if, if I screw this up, this is like, um, what is it, the, the Hamilton uh, musical that was out. You know, I'm not going to throw away my shot, right? He's got like, he feels like he's got this one opportunity, and if you blow it, you've missed it. And we put so much pressure on ourselves to try to be perfect, to try to, uh, I, I don't want to waste this time. I don't, I don't want to miss up. And yet there's part that if we can't risk with God, if we can't take opportunities to go, what if I pray for someone out loud, like at Walmart? What if, you know, what if, what if I try a business and it doesn't work out? What if I, you know, try a mission trip and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be? Disappointment means to miss your appointment. And I know in my life, the times where I felt most disappointed was when I had an expectation that God was going to behave in a certain way. And there's parts that I actually call it Christian witchcraft because it's not like we're worshiping the devil, but we're really trying to control the situation. And so it's like, well, God, if I do this for you, then you'd better. Right? How different is that than like trying to like cast a spell? Like at the end of the day, it's not that different. <laughs> We're trying to control God. We're trying to control the circumstances. We're trying to make ourselves into God over whatever this is. And yet if we switch our paradigm and go, God, I'm going to do this with you. But I am not God. Right? I, I am risking Trusting that you will catch me because you are the one who has authority over death. If I screw this up so bad that I die, you can still redeem me, change things for me. My story doesn't end. It's like, what's, what's the worst that can happen to me, right? What, what can mere mortals do to me? Nothing. Right? And, and so there's part that, like, what is it that you're afraid of that's keeping you from exercising your faith or what you're hearing God calling you to? What can mere mortals do? Right? You kill me and you promote me? I, I, it just it got better. You're going to threaten me with heaven? <laughs> right? And so there's part, like, sometimes we have to change 
our paradigm. Like we know that, like, you know, Paul says, uh, you know, for me to be with you is for you. It's better for me if I die. Uh, for whatever reason, the, the exact quote, I'm, I can't pull it, but that's the smiley paraphrase. Um, and, uh, but, but when we look at our behavior, it's clear that we're not believing that. We should be the most bold people on the planet because we serve a living, powerful God. But if you believe that the Bible is only here to give you principles, and if you take the principles and use them to try to control your situation, and you have principles without the prince, you're still, you're still putting yourself in the place of God. I got to confess, I do that all the time. I'm looking for principles. I'm looking for the rules. How do we get this done? And then if I do this, then this is the outcome. And the Lord just keeps, he's so faithful. <laughs> he's like, isn't that cute? <laughs> you don't get to control any of this. And so there's part that I just want to encourage you today, that the Lord is good and that his faithful love endures forever. And that as you look at where are you afraid, what is it that's holding you back? If there's a picture, a dream, something in your life that you're like, I feel like I'm falling short. Like I have, the Lord has given me pictures. I'm, I do a lot of entrepreneurial work. And there's, there's, the Lord gives me like crazy numbers. Like this is going to be wildly successful. And so far I, I have yet to, to see, you know, the abundantly above beyond all I can think, ask, or imagine. I'm like, Lord, I have a pretty good imagination, <laughs> right? Like, all right, how do we do this? But I've found that I've been hamstringing myself because I keep trying to make me do it. And the Lord's like frustrated some, <laughs> some of these dreams that I felt like were from him because I was trying to do them without him. Godly principles, biblical principles, but it wasn't with him. It was either for him or under him and I, I was missing the part that, you know, when Adam named the animals, he named them with God. There was part that the, the creation and how God interacts with us is about our relationship with him. And uh, it just, it keeps, the Lord keeps challenging me. How do I shift my paradigm? How do I shift my paradigm? What does it look like Monday morning? What does it look like Tuesday morning? By Thursday when I'm tired, right? I got a trainer trying to work out a little bit more, get better diet advice. But I was like, I was having to get up at like 5 a.m. because my uh, soon-to-be nine-year-old son gets up at like 6.05 because he's got to catch the bus early and all this stuff. And So like if I miss my window by 10 minutes, the opportunity to work out at that time is gone. And it was just like, but I was like trying to drive all of this. And so I've been working on shifting my schedule to go, Lord, what does rest look like in the midst of busyness? And do I have to do things in this order that the like miracle morning, self-motivating gurus tell me I should be doing? Or can I actually get like seven hours of sleep? 
And then I'm in a better mood the rest of the day. Right? And so there's part of going, Lord, how do I do this with you? How do I trust that you will order my steps in the process that I don't have to have it all controlled from the beginning? Right? In the, in, in the legal sphere where I've, I've worked for years, you, know, you don't want to be in a deposition where you ask questions that you actually don't know the answer to. You want to know pretty much what's going to happen when you ask the question because you're leading the person into a path to either support your case or destroy their case, right? But you want to know. You don't, you don't want something just random to pop up while they're like, oh, and by the way, this, this other thing also happened. And you're like, that was not on my list. That changes the whole tenor of the case. Right? So there's part that we do that in our own lives, though. I want to I control all the variables, and I don't want anything to change how, how this path is going to go. And, uh, you know, the Lord just refuses to play in your sandbox. He's invited you into his, but he won't play in yours. And you can take as much sand out of his sandbox into yours, but he's not coming, right? And so there's part, like, how do, we, how do we extend and say yes and go, God, you have a bigger, better place to play. As your kids, we can come and trust that you're going to open these doors, that you're going to help us. But we don't get to be in control which is super hard. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. The professional Christians, you guys got it easy. But I often think about the verses like, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. And how, like, what does that really look like in my life? What does that look like for you? Because our woundings come from other people, right? The people that we were trusting in, the people that can hurt you the deepest are the ones that you've let the closest to you, right? And so we go, all right, so Lord, how, how does this work, right? Because my default is always principles. And he's like, with me, with me. And shifting our perspective from an American success philosophy to an eternal success philosophy. And sometimes we see people's lives cut short. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was a pastor and a spy and conspired to kill Hitler at the end of World War II. And they caught him. And it was literally weeks before his prison was to be liberated by the Allied armies that he was killed. And you look at like Martin Luther King Jr. And, and how his life was taken early. And yet he had an experience with God that encouraged and equipped him to go, you threatening me with death? That, that, <laughs> that doesn't, it doesn't change what I'm called to do even if you, if you cut my physical life short. I'm, I'm, I'm making the stand because I fear no evil, right? Psalm 23, 
I fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. But how much of our political turmoil is picking which evil you're going to fear? Whether it's the other party, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's like, what, what evil are we fearing that's limiting us from going, God, what's the kingdom solution? I saw one like little meme and it was said, you know, it had like a picture of, of fighting and a picture of a suburban neighborhood. And it said the the historical default is fighting. Thousands of years we've been fighting. The fact that we've had unprecedented peace in our neighborhoods, for most of us at least in America, that is not the norm. This is an unusual prosperity and peace. Even amongst all the turmoil that we have, we're like, well, this is this not always been peaceful. But you go, I'm not worried about Vikings like sacking my house and burning it down. Right? They're like or or pick. You know, we were in Mexico last summer and it was like, well, there was constant fighting between Mayans and other people and the Aztecs and like pick pick a society. There's been violence throughout the years and we've experienced unprecedented peace. And it's when God, how do we continue to be people of peacemaking? That we would be able to go in this situation, you know, political, uh, in business, in you know, in, in, you know, for most of us, it's in our jobs to go, God, what does a divine solution look like where love is reigning? That we would see the kingdom advance because of love. In talking about love, it reminds me that in 1 Corinthians 13, we often talk about that as the love chapter, mostly in a, in a marriage context. We sort of actually hacked it out of context and, and used it in, in weddings and, and things of that nature. But it's really talking about the gifts, right? It's talking about prophecy and, and 12 and 14. And then there's this, it's sort of like this disjointed chapter that gets dropped into the middle of the gifts of God. You know, and so in, in 13 verse 4, it starts talking, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always. But when you, when you really come back to it, you can substitute the word God for love, right? Because God is love. It's not, he doesn't have love. He is love. So God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That is the God we serve. That is the God who loves us with an everlasting love because his love endures forever. 
And it's interesting, at the end of the chapter, it says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Because at the end, with the restoration of all things, when Christ returns, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, that hope is actualized with the return of Christ. Right? And so faith and hope, the, the belief in the unseen, right? All of that now shifts. But what's left? Love. Because now we will in, in, enter into the full expression of God's love. The restoration of Eden. The, the being with God forever. And so I just I want to encourage you today. That when we run into these psalms and things, there's such richness in his love endures forever. Whether you're a professional Christian, his love endures forever. Whether you're a professional pastor, his love endures forever. Whether you're outside of all of that, but you just love God, his love endures forever. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place, South Tampa Campus. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear, and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.